Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And guys, we are here today. I, I don't have a pun. We're here to talk about The Mandalorian season three, episode whatever, because I can't keep track of it anymore. But it's chapter 22, The Guns for Hire. Um, <laughs> and also a little bit of celebration news, because how can we not? Oh, I, I mean, yeah, we're, we, we are not there at Celebration this year, but there's some big news. The biggest is that there's a volume two soundtrack for Bad Batch. No, that's not the biggest news, but I am very excited about that. I um, know you're excited about soundtracks, but come on, get to the I, big I know, news. I know. So is, I, can't, I can't decide which one's bigger. I, I want to hear what you guys think. Is it the three new films, including a film from James Mangold set during the Dawn of the Jedi, Dave Filoni's movie, about during the New Republic that ties all the different series together on Disney Plus, or Charmaine Obechinoy's film set after the events of The Rise of Skywalker with Daisy Ridley rebuilding the Jedi. So is that the biggest news? Or is it the, all the details we got on Ahsoka? I can't pick which there plus there's lots of other news we'll talk touch on as well. What do you guys think? What's what's your favorite news so far? Uh, I'm gonna go with the Ahsoka one because we got more information on that than the other features. That's true. That's true. They, yes. Yeah, we ha- we got a lot in Ahsoka. The the yep. movies are interesting. I'm excited. I try not to get my hopes up too much anymore, given mm-hmm. how many movies. I was they say, I, and then... <laughs> I'm yeah. I think I'd rank the Filoni one slightly higher than the Ray one. I the would Ray, agree. But I also just have this very large feeling of like, mm, I mean, we'll see when we get there. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been hurt before. <laughs> and it has a name, Rogue Squadron. Well, <laughs> I, I suspect these movies have a higher chance of getting made. I mean, there, there's no dates, but so according to Kathleen Kennedy, the projects are pretty far along, which is good. I'm glad they're announcing them in theory further along rather than just like, hey, we had an idea and we're just going to announce it and tell the world. Um, but I'm just so happy that Dave Filoni is getting a movie. Like that, that is just so well-deserved and makes, mm-hmm. I'm so happy for the guy. And I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. say like Filoni movie most likely to happen. It, that feels most in-house, if that makes sense. Yep, um, it totally does. And I, I think the Ray movie probably has a pretty good chance as well. Like that, I, that feels like they are, they're gauging and going to try and restart a kind of sequel era something or other. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's which, set 15 years after uh, Rise of Skywalker. Daisy Ridley's back as Ray. And it's really all going to be about her rebuilding the Jedi and and seeing her fulfill that promise to Luke. We always wanted to see that with Luke. Obviously, we didn't get that, but I think it's I think it's I'm excited to at least see Ray rebuild the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see what happens to the characters after uh, after what we've already seen from the uh, sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. and then what happened to the Republic at that point. So. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, James Mangold's movie will be all about the dawn of the Jedi, set twenty five thousand years before A New Hope, uh, so way far before even Kotor, and it's supposed to be a biblical epic about the emergence of the Force and the first Jedi. So that sounds interesting. I think that's the there's the most unknown there. 
Well, do you think there's a possibility he could pull from the Dark Horse series? Because didn't Dark Horse back in the day when they first had the there, property? There are they... multiple Dawn of the Jedi. Yeah. There's, there's the Dark Horse series. There's a novel, I believe. That's right. I, I have that novel. Specifically Dawn of the Jedi. There's yeah. the Star Wars The Old Republic series, which also deals with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Star Wars The Old Republic takes place after KOTOR, but we'll see is my answer. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. The Filoni movie set during the New Republic is probably the most interesting to me, even though, I, yeah, I get it. Daisy Ridley coming back as Ray. Huge news. I'm excited about that one as well. But to me, Dave Filoni getting his own movie and it, it will, it, according to the press release, quote, close out the interconnected stories told in the Mandalorian, the Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka and other Disney plus series, end quote. That's interesting. What does, what do you think close out means? I mean, so this segues very nicely into the uh, Ahsoka trailer that we got. But I, I think we're about to see. I mean, I guess I am kind of going to call it like the Filoni verse to some degree. Like basically the storylines mm, and pieces he started in Clone Wars added up into Rebels, like especially in Rebels with Thrawn and Ezra, you know, followed by, um, you know, what we've seen in Mandalorian and what we'll see in Ahsoka. Like, I, I just assume that's all going to lead up through whatever this this movie is. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest hope is a movie that's concluding a TV ser- uh, universe feels a little dicey to me. Um, so I'm very curious to see how they establish and pull that off yeah but well what's interesting Stephen, is dave floney also made a comment about how they're looking at things done in the old legends novels as well as a guide not just i think it was the floney or kathleen kennedy i don't remember but they're looking at things from legends as well not just what john and dave have done in the series Mm -hmm. so that's very interesting to me well i would think he calls out literally one of the the titles of a book heir to the empire that's fully called out well, in, in the so, Ahsoka trailer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in the Ahsoka trailer. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I I forgot. I left that part out. So. But yeah, I, I guess I for just, this movie, I don't though. Know. Yeah. The fact that it says close out, right? That sounds to me. I guess you could take it two ways. Is it closing out the series? Like, like they're done with those series and it's like the finale? Or are they closing out just the interconnected storylines from those series? It, I don't know. It's you, you. You could read it different ways. Dave Filoni did have a. He did have a in an interview with IGN. He talked about how, you know, the story has just escalated to the point where they've been talking about it. He and he and John and they've had a plan and they decided that it was time to to make a movie. Um, you know, just kind of grown and grown and grown the story um, until it was just a bigger thing than they wanted to do just in the streaming shows. And they knew the story would culminate. He said, you have little culminations that come with each season. You have characters that come in and out, uh, especially with the multiple seasons, multiple series happening at the same time. And doing these characters, especially on Ahsoka and the Mandalorian, you're seeing that from the ground level perspective. You're catching glimpses of characters and things that are happening across the galaxy. And you're seeing it through the eyes of somebody who doesn't really have a lot of the context. And it sounds like this movie will have more of that context and tie everything together. And it's been apparently six to seven years in the making. So... That's exciting. Well, I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be interesting. And how he's going to tie up all the stories, we will have to wait and see. We have to see the other stories first to see what he's going to tie up, though. Yeah. But as a yeah. you know, as a fan of 
you know, you the three of us, we've covered Clone Wars and Rebels since they began, right? The for for well, we're coming on 15 years of podcasting together, covering the animated series and then the live action series once they started those. And so to see that Ahsoka trailer was just so cool. It was so cool. I did, did you guys get as excited as I did watching this? Generally, I, yes. I I don't maybe I'm actually going to ask you guys this cuz I so I, I was on vacation this last week and I watched the trailer on my phone, which is generally not the best way to watch trailers. It looked a little floaty to me, like the action felt reminiscent of like Book of Boba Fett where it like felt like it lacked weight. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that was just my internet connection though. Hmm. I don't was that just me or did either of you notice that? I didn't notice anything like that. I I I for what it was, there's questions. There's there's big questions, especially with the logo of the Ahsoka thing with all the the circles behind it. And when she meets what appears to be a Sith master in that very dark area, you, you, th- there's questions about what's going to happen in the series. There's theories, um, uh, world between worlds, but you know, it's to see how the stuff is going to be playing out is what I'm fascinated about. The other thing that caught me off guard, um, um, Sabine was not wearing her armor in this. And whenever we've seen Mandalorians, they're wearing armor. She was just wearing basically a flight jacket and it looked like regular clothes. I didn't see armor on her. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I you're right. I think I guess to answer Stephen your your question. I didn't notice to be super floaty. There was a, that one spot where Ahsoka cuts through the ground that seemed a little like it didn't have enough weight to it, but for the most part, it seemed fine. It I'm still adjusting to some of these uh, you know, characters in live action. It's it's always mm-hmm. harder, I think, to go from Going from live action to animation is pretty easy. It's like, oh, it's an animated version. I get it, right? But going from anim- animation to live action, you're trying to fit these characters into real people that you, you know, had imagined in your head, uh, you know, and, and stuff. It's it's a little harder. I think it'll just come with time, right? Um, yeah. But seeing like the, the cast they picked has, is just so good, like. Mm-hmm. Sabine, played by Natasha Leo Bordizio, who they announced last year, looks great. We've got Hera, played by Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, which, who of course is Ewan McGregor's wife, right? So there's another Star Wars connection there. We've got live action Chopper, live action um, Ezra Bridger, briefly seen via hologram, played by Aman Asfandi. We've got Thrawn coming back, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's it played by Lars Mikkelsen, uh, who also played him in the in Rebels. Um, it's and don't forget we've already seen a live action Zeb even though he was yes. a Mandalorian. So he's he's he got to be coming in, right? And we've right. got we've got Lothcats. We've got uh, you know, it's, we've got Dark, Dark Jedi. This new guy, Balin Skull, played by Ray, Ray Stevenson and Shen Hady, played by Ivana Sukno. Um, we've got I think they're Inquisitors, right? We've got mm-hmm. um, the World Between Worlds, as you mentioned, Tom. That that certainly looks like the World Between World Between yeah, Worlds does. to me. Hu Yang played by David Tennant, uh, is back. This, the Pergil, apparently, are there. This really does feel like Rebels Season 5 to me. And the one thing I want to point out, the Dark Jedi thing, had, with with his um, uh, Padawan, had, to me, a Bane vibe to it. Don't ask me why, and I know... That's true, yeah. But but there there was that Bane vibe to that whole, between the two of them. Yeah, this is, is... I'm just very excited that we're getting a continuation of Rebels and 
Rebels was always told through the eyes of the crew of the Ghost, right? And Ahsoka was, she was present in the series, but it was never her story. Uh, and I know fans were disappointed by that at times because um, they wanted to see more Ahsoka. And this is really the inverse where it's Ahsoka's story and the other crew of the Ghost are 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 now here. But it's it's so wonderful to see all these characters back, right? Uh, I know there's some, it's, it's so great. And Kevin Kiner's doing the music it's i i just i'm very excited i'm so so excited and it's coming out this august so we do not have very long to wait nope not at all oh, very very exciting. so cool and like an orange lightsaber too that was cool Mm-hmm. yeah i mean the fact that they've got the world between worlds in there i wonder if ahsoka's gonna use that to try to figure out where ezra and thrawn went i don't know I don't know. Fascinating question that we will find out question. during the series. Yeah, questions upon questions. Yep, yep, yep. They uh, they also so if you haven't watched the trailer, go out and watch it. Uh, they also announced the directors for the series: um, Dave Filoni, of course, Steph Green, Peter Ramsey, Jennifer Getzinger, Gita Patel, and Rick Famuyiwa. So really great uh, lineup of directors there. Man, we could spend so much time talking about the Ahsoka trailer. But any other thoughts from you guys before we move on? We got a lot to cover. No, just that I wish they would not release all their news at once. And I realize it was a celebration, but like, man, we're not even touching on Andor season two or the Acolytes mm-hmm. or like half a dozen other shows that are very, very important and exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, well like, yeah. So, so let's let's just go through it briefly because we, we, we've got an episode to get to. We've got short on time, but um, we're actually bringing you guys two episodes this week. We'll do our review of um, the next chapter of The Mandalorian uh, on Thursday. Uh, but We've got Andor season two coming in August, 2024. So that's great. It's a year and a half away, sadly, but Hey, that's coming. Um, and they reiterated each three episode arc in season two will be set one year apart. We knew it was going to cover quite a period, quite a big period of time. The acolyte is coming next year. Uh, they described it as frozen meets kill bill, which is a very interesting comparison. I, I want to see how they're going to cross the two. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, but it it, it features uh, a Wookiee Jedi Master named Kalnaka, played by, of course, the guy who plays Chewbacca now, uh, Yunus Sunotamo. Um, and we're going to see Vernestra Rowe in live action, of course, from the High Republic books. Um, and uh, so that's that, and lots of other uh, cool characters, tons of Jedi. I'm, ex- I'm in- very interested to see that. We've got Skeleton Crew coming out later this year. Uh, they announced some of the directors. It's going to be uh, the Daniels, John Watts, David Lowry, Jake Schreier, Bryce Dallas Howard is coming back to direct a skeleton crew and Lee Isaac Chung. Um, uh, and uh, what else? Uh, Tales of the Jedi season two is happening. I'm excited for this. Uh, this is great. We, uh, you know, we got Tales of the Jedi season one earlier uh, last fall, and I'm very excited for season two. I can't wait to dissect all the options here. We've got the Bad Batch returning for a third and final season. And uh, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. I really do. So for those who maybe haven't listened or watched the Bad Batch yet, cover your ears real quick because we're just going to briefly talk about it. At the end of season two, kind of ended on a big cliffhanger. Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, some... So that's going to be big to see. I'm very curious. Pal- Palpatine's going to play a big role. They're going to try to rescue Omega. Fennec Shan's coming back. Omega's getting older. So very, very interested to mm-hmm. see what happens there. And, and of course, 
we'll have our review for you um, coming up in just a few weeks. We, man, we still want to get to that, but there's just so much. Yeah, happening. we really need to get to that one. Exactly. Yeah. No, we we will as soon as we possibly can. Uh, we've got Visions Volume Two coming out. Um, they announced a whole bunch of details about that series that launches on May fourth. The biggest thing. Did you guys watch the trailer? It looked. Was that like Malik and Bespastila Sean? Like it looked like okay. it to me. I watched the trailer. I enjoyed the trailer. I like this trailer better than the first yes. season, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the one that I am so looking forward to, I want to see how Ardman animation does with Star Wars. Because you could already tell that 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 snarky, comedic bit of Ardman's going to be in there. Because if you know what to look for for the animation, you could tell which one is theirs. Yeah. And I'm so looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, no, I'm I, I like you. I was not a huge fan of volume one of Visions. Volume two looks a lot more interesting to me. It looks really cool. Yeah, especially those like. Yeah, I swear that it looks like a modified version of Kotar, like a Legends version of Kotor. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't want to step into that one because I kind of agree with you. But there's a lot of stuff that looks really cool within this one that I am very excited to yeah, see because yeah. it looks like there's a lot of stop motion in it, not just the Ardman one, but there's one that looks like some of the characters are made out of cloth. Cause there's a really cool close up of, of one of these things. that's like with a face on it, just the look of, of, I think the two stop motions look so cool. Yeah. And then there's the 3d one. I think you were talking about with could have been the KOTOR, but there's one in which you have, it looks like a Sith coming down a hallway and going after a female in the sword. She had a yellow yellow saber, but if you look at it closely, it's not straight. It's a bit bent. It's really cool. Yeah, it really, it really is. And so, uh, yeah, that comes out May 4th alongside uh, Young Jedi Adventures. We did get a brief uh, mention of Rogue Squadron, Stephen and Tom. Um, Kathleen Kennedy said that the, that movie is something they still want to, they still talk about. And uh, she said it might not return the same way, whether it's a movie or whether it ends up being in a series. That's definitely something they're exploring. So there, maybe there's still hope for Rogue Squadron because I the, the dream's not quite dead. Yes, exactly, Close. exactly. Not quite. <laughs> uh, apparently, hope though, is always there. Yeah. Apparently, though, Kenobi season two is not happening. Uh, but Ewan McGregor, you know, he wants to do more, but Lucasfilm isn't isn't planning that right now. And I get it. Disney is kind of trying to refocus a lot of what they're doing. Um, so, but you know, who knows? Maybe but, there's a potential in the future. What can they do? I'm, I, I, I got it. I got to take the stand of, of Lucas. What can they do? He's supposed to be in hiding. That's they true. can't keep, they can't keep having him pop back and forth because then he's not in hiding anymore. He's not protecting Luke anymore. So I, I just, I, I understand the need for it. I understand the want for it, but it's going against what the character is supposed to be doing. And I would love to see you McGregor be Obi-Wan again. Please do not get me wrong on this, but I just don't think it's, it's the character at this point. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and then rounding out the news, we've got the high Republic phase three trials of the Jedi. 
they announced the new series of novels. We got the Eye of Darkness uh, on the adult novel side uh, coming out in November 2023. Temptation, that's by George Mann. Temptation of the Force by Tessa Grattan in summer of 2024. And then ending with Trials of the Jedi by Charles Sewell in spring 2025. They've also got some young adult novels, Defy the Storm by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland uh, next March. Tears of the Nameless by George Mann in the fall of 2024. Into the Light by Claudia Gray. I'm glad to get another Claudia Gray book in spring 2025. And then on the middle grade side, Escape from Valo by Daniel Jose Older and Alyssa Wong. That's January of next year. Beware the Nameless by Zarita Cordova in summer 2024. And A Valiant Vow by Justina Ireland in spring 2025. So we've got uh, the next two years um, uh, with phase three. And that will conclude The High Republic. So... Yeah, um, I'm interested to see where they take the story there because it'll it'll pick up about uh, not too long, one year after the fall of Starlight Beacon. So we'll we'll see. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, they closed out Celebration 2023 this morning, Celebration Europe, with the announcement that Celebration is returning in 2025, as they had previously um, let slip in a blog post. The surprise is that it'll be happening in Japan, April 17th through 20th. So it'll be a three-day, uh, sorry, no, it's a four-day, four-day Star Wars celebration happening in Japan, uh, April 17th through 20th. So, yeah, lots to lots of news from Star Wars Celebration. So much news. Yeah, a lot of news. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess a the one thing, we didn't get that many non-High Republic book announcements they have announced a bunch for the summer already so that's probably why but yeah lots lots of great of, of news but it's exciting i'm glad the movies are cool ahsoka try looks amazing acolyte has been interested for sure uh, bad batch season three excited to see how they uh, wrap up the series there and what will they will do next after bad batch so uh and lots of other great announcements so with that whoo tom what are we reviewing tonight? Well, tonight we are going to be reviewing Chapter 22 of The Mandalorian titled Guns for Hire. This was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by John Favreau. And the synopsis for the episode is The Mandalorian visits an opulent planet. But we don't get there right away because we have a little love story at the beginning, which did that not throw you off? <laughs> I, I have, I'm sorry, I have to bring it out. Did that whole thing at the beginning of the episode not the, throw you off? The thing that I think particularly threw me off was, uh, so I watched the recap, like, you know, and it starts out by showing the Mandalorians on the rain planet from season one or two, whenever we see Trask. both on the yeah, first yeah. time. Yep, mm -hmm. got it. And there are Quarren pirates that I believe are in the recap, and I think yeah. were the ones that captured him in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the episode is called Guns for Hire. We open up with, uh, you know, this you know, Quarren ship. Um, and one of them even has a line when they see this Imperial ship of like, um, I wish I could remember the exact, the exact wording, but like it implied that like they were trying to decide if they were going to attack this, you know, Imperial ship or not. It's like, right. ah, okay. We're, we're following like the Quarren pirates and it's going to come back around. I I was not expecting Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know if it's, is it Romeo and Juliet or would this be like West side story? Or I guess maybe those are both the same thing to be They're fair. Both I've the never seen thing. West side story. I hate to say it. Didn't we see this before in the Clone Wars? Almost the exact same thing. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And in fact, 
I honestly wonder, is that a relative of Prince Lee Char from the Clone Wars? Because you remember Prince Lee Char, he was a Mon Cal prince, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was friends with, you know, tried to try to broker peace with the Quarren and uh he apparently i did i i don't catch up i don't i'm not as up on the marvel comics i didn't really know this but apparently he died shortly after uh the battle of yavin in marvel's uh comics and but not before telling everyone to resist the empire and that's why we see mon calamari ships in turn of the jedi apparently um but so this this could not be princely chart that said i wonder if they're related in some way it would be interesting to find out. I just I just found it a little bit jarring because it's like you're looking at it from two points of view. Guns for hire. Okay, we find out later who the actual guns for hire were, but technically the show starts out with the Mandalorian leader in the Star Destroyer saying, well, you know, we're not the Imperials. We're here on a mission. We're Mandalorians. We were hired to do a job, and I hate to tell you this, Princess, but we're going to take your prince away. Right. Yeah, and I think this whole scene is is really to set up how these Mandalorians really are out there. They're mercenaries. They're doing whatever it is, right? They're not like Bo-Katan. They're more idealistic. They're just they're out there to get paid, and they'll they'll do the job. They're that, that Boba Fett right style of of character. But um, I, I I got it. I guess it it was a little jarring because they had. When did this part of it take place? Because technically, as we find out in the episode, they had a job to protect a planet. So are they doing this? Well, they, they said they were on, on the their side? way. They said they were they were do, finishing oh, they this were job, and then they were job. on their way to Plazier Fifteen. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it just, it just sets up the, and it was it was very unique. I I liked the the uh, the visuals of the, you know, the Quarren captain, uh, Captain Shagoth. Uh, she's, you know, sitting in her tank of water. They bring her a glass of the fish in it. Like it's really. Really cool, really well done. Uh, yeah, the, please don't get me wrong. I thought that was outstanding. The the little like little, face tentacle kiss thing yes. was a little we- creepy, but you know it was it was you know Star Wars always has to have those little out there moments, and it was mm-hmm. it was definitely one of those. That that was a nice whole, change of the pace. whole product and that whole production design of the ship interior, especially when she's floating in her tank, and you see the tank basically the water goes away and she settles down into her seat. That whole production design and and the directing of it was just so cool. Don't get me wrong. It was just, it was just interesting to see this at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun way to kick things off. And then that takes us to this new planet, Plazier 15, which is kind of a combination of visually it looked to me like if you crossed Mandalore with Alderaan and Epcot, maybe. <laughs> uh, there we go again. Epcot. Yeah. I, I agree with that part too. Steven, what did, what did you think? Yeah, it's honestly, I just got thrown when they, we start off and the first thing we hear is about the Hyperloop. And I was like, oh, that just sounds like it is both simultaneously too normal sounding and sounds yeah. fine for Star Wars. Like it was just such a weird, weird intro. Like yeah. all around. Also, OK, hang on now. This is my is this my biggest pet peeve for this episode. It might be. Uh, and now I introducing not... Steven's pet peeve of the episode. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I'm deeply concerned that Bo-Katan's ship is apparently set up to take instructions from any like person and let her lose control of her ship with 
out mm-hmm. a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. That seems like a poor idea. <laughs> oh, Bo-Katan, by the way, uh, we're, your ship needs the dock at the Star Destroyer, so don't worry about it. We'll just we'll just take you in. Do we know? Is and, it, did and, they change the update? Did they like communicate directly with the, the ship's onboard computer and redirect, or was it a, a like a, a, a tractor beam? Do we know? I I think it, oh, was it says it's she it took over. It, yeah, it takes over and docks yeah. her, which as I drop things from my desk, but it is not a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I, you're right. From a security standpoint, definitely not. I I liked the look of the planet quite a bit. It was really interesting. Yeah, the hyperloop thing was a little, uh, visually cool. A little like, oh, it's a little too similar. But even the way they when they start landing, right? You have the little, you know, the welcome mm-hmm. to Plasier Fifty. It was it was really cool. I liked this whole thing. And then it, we're introduced to the Duchess and Captain Bombardier, played by Lizzo and Jack Black. And okay, <laughs> Tom, I think I feel like you feel I think you might feel similar to me. They were way too they stuck out like a sore thumb. Like I might oh. mm. okay. I did not I like their going... characters. Tom, go ahead. Okay. I, I'm sorry I'm sorry to I'm gonna try. I like Jack Black. I I, I, I love the character. My I I my problem with him in this episode, he was still Jack Black. Yes. And for there is a line that bothers me that was said that I know was not in the script. Because if you know, I'm going to say this, if you know a certain musical called Fiddler on the Roof, he sings a line from that movie. Oh, does he? I didn't even catch that. Oh, it's my been God. a while since I've seen it. He, I'm, he, he sings. It's in the background. But it is so obvious that it was almost note for note how it is done in in the film. Um, and I and I watched this show four times and heard it all for, I heard it the first time and then three times after that. Now, again, I love Jack Black. There were times during his part that he was fine. But my biggest thing that threw me out of the character, he is very facial acting sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes his facial acting is a little bit over the top. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and 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 I I I'm going to stop there. So anybody These, else want to jump in? I think the Mandalorian has two types of cameos. They're either good cameos or they're really really bad cameos, right? <laughs> and I, I don't love. I like guest stars when they feel integrated. I when they feel mm-hmm. just like oh that's a guest star because they're just friends yeah. with the cast and crew. That's when it. That's when it like it takes me out of the show, mm-hmm. and these felt like that. It felt a lot. Actually, I have to give our good friend of the show Sean Keen for this analogy. It felt like David Pascesi in the Book of Boba Fett as the major domo, just way over the top, way yep. over yep. the yep. top, and he, cheesy. Steven? so I'll, I'll say. Uh, so we also have Christopher Lloyd, who you know, yes. Back to the Future is here. I. I would say, and I'll, I'll give my broader thoughts in a second, but I think the example of the opposite of what you're describing here, like famous actor, you recognize him immediately, but I felt like he faded into the rest of the episode much better yes. than I, will, Jack I couldn't agree yes, more. I, yeah, I, I will. I will agree, except there's one part toward the end that really bothered me, but I don't think it was him. It was how they wrote that character sure. and how they wrote the scene. But, but I totally like, agree. But I will say, so my initial impression 
was the same as yours. Like I, I also enjoy Jack Black. Um, I'm not as familiar with Lizzo. They both are come across very boisterous and comical to some degree, which felt out of place. Like coming out of this previous episode where you know we're battling on um, Navarro. Um, that being said, this fits the tone of the rest of the episode to a T. So I actually end up feeling less like the cameos were too loud and more like that was the whole episode was too loud. Like the the episode as a whole, like when we start talking about like when they're like drawing blood from a battle droid or Mm -hmm. we're doing like our best impression of like CSI Miami. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what this episode is. Okay. Uh, We'll go through each of those, but the episode as a whole um, I saw someone comment as like, if you if this were an animated episode, it would have felt right at home. And I was like, you know what? That I, is a good description I, for this. I, I, totally. I, you know what? I'm going to totally. Yeah. It's a weird, like opening with the fishy love story, followed by, you know, this idyllic planet with Lizzo and Jack Black as the rulers to playing space cricket. I don't know what the, what it was like um, to like. Din Djarin just like kicking battle droids over to see if they react. Mm-hmm. So many parts of this episode just feel intentionally comical. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, and I end up feeling, I think I end up feeling okay with it. And it, and it I, feels less like, uh, sorry, just to like finish the thought. It's less ahead. of a, um, it feels out of place in the same way that like some of the, like the Book of Boba Fett stuff felt out of place. Mm-hmm. But it's consistent to the whole, which makes it a little bit harder for me to dislike. Okay. Um, the episode as a whole totally matches, even though versus like, you know, like the, why am I blanking on the name of the speeder people? But like the uh, the Vespa crew from Book of Both, I was like, oh, one, yeah, yeah. it's a comical element out of the rest of the show, which was not feeling comical. This, the entire thing is kind of a comedy right. um, and weird. And I think I ended up being okay with it. Like I'm not, a hundred percent sure it's my cup of tea, but I'm, I think I'm okay with it. Yeah. No, that's actually I think, a very good point. And, and I think for me, w- listening to you discuss all that, uh, bring all that up. I think for me, what at this point makes it more comical was when Din Djarin looks at, uh, uh, Bo-Katan and when she looks at him and says, what do you think? And he goes, they had me at battle droids. <laughs> yeah. I think at that point, Steven, I agree. From that point, it stayed in a comedic sense, and it worked throughout the rest of the episode. It had its flaws in certain areas, which I'll get to Christopher Lloyd toward the end. But you look at it from that perspective, then I agree with you. It works that way. Yeah, yeah. I think for for me, it was it's an odd placement because we only have three episodes left in the season, and you know. Bo-Katan has just gotten the dark saber or she, she will get the dark saber. Um, but you know, they're they're They've set them off to go. Bo-Katan and the Mandalorian are off to go and, and find the, uh, to go bring together all the people of Mandalore. And all of a sudden we get this really random side story and you're right. It is, I think intentionally supposed to be more animated. And it reminds me of one of the more out there episodes of the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. As much as we, you know, Clone Wars had its incredible, uh, you know, episodes like, uh, you know, like Savage and Maul and the Siege of Mandalore and all these great moments. And then it had, you know, the droid spa 
episodes and uh and and they were still enjoyable as well but you just had to go no going in not every episode is going to be galaxy changing right uh and so from that standpoint i think it makes a little more sense i still prefer guest stars that are not recognizable as much just because it's star wars and i i think when you see them you're just like oh that's a real person rather than oh that's a star out there outlandish star wars character Mm. that's just my two cents but it it was cool to see how you know captain bombardier is a he's a former imperial and so tying back to some of the other episodes from this season so far right he he's gone through the um uh through the the through the same program that dr pershing went through right he he's gone through the amnesty program and he worked hard to improve himself and he's come now to Plazier 15 to help rebuild the planet. And he fell in love with the Duchess and now they've turned the planet into democracy and, and all that stuff. But of course they, they can't, uh, they can't operate without droids and the droids are going crazy. And that's why they need help from Din and, and Bo. And that sets them off on, as you said, Steven CSI star Wars pretty much. Well, but I think the other thing that kind of helped Bo go on this mission was he bombardier did sit there and say, if you do this mission that we will recognize Mandalore as a system and we can help you get yourself back into the Republic because you are trying to get the Mandalorians back together again. Are you not? And once you complete this mission, then we'll let you go talk to the uh, Mandalorians that are outside the city, but please, please do this mission first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like this, it's got very much the like side quest format. We were, we're used to from the first two seasons of Mandalorian. Um, I do like just touching on that point to like at the very end of the episode, it, I continue to feel like we are building the Mandalorian empire to some degree, like a Mandalorian mm-hmm. alliance of the outer rim, like whatever, whatever we, th- I think we end up calling it. Um, but this is, you know, we've now added Plaza 15 to mm-hmm. Navarro to Mandalore. Um, I feel like we are going to see more of these characters, um, mm-hmm. perhaps in a slightly more serious sense, but like, it it feels like there's something legitimate happening here. Yeah, no, that's that, I, I actually it's a really good point, Stephen. I think you're right. It, they're definitely gaining a lot of allies throughout the galaxy, mm-hmm. and I suspect it'll come back in a big way. Yeah. So let's talk about the investigation. So they they go and they meet Commissioner Hellgate, played by Christopher Lloyd, uh, and try to learn more about the uh, the droids. I, I did think it was funny. My my brother sent me this funny meme from Reddit. I think I sent it to you guys as well. Uh talk about how, you know, in you know, in Back to the Future Part Three, Doc Brown mistakenly goes back in time and ends up in a galaxy far, far away. This action accidentally creates a religion known as the Mandalorians, a mistaken interpretation of the phrase man in DeLorean. <laughs> that was I saw funny. I saw that too. That actually is pretty funny. Oh, anyway, but um, all that aside, um, the this you know the, the droids are going crazy. They have a bunch of old, reprogrammed Imperial droids, and uh, Captain Bombardier has he he you know he reprogrammed them himself, right? They they're they're peaceful service workers now, so but they're some of them are going crazy. They're chopping up diners at a restaurant, which was particularly gruesome. Or did they actually chop up diners? I or think, was I mean they cut away. Pretty sure they chopped the guests. Yeah, no, I know. I I agree. I, I had a feeling that well, that's what was happening. Um, but it, I, I thought it was really fascinating to see a society, you know, that 
we know in Star Wars, they're, they're very reliant on droids, right? But we've never seen a society that literally would not function without them. I, so this episode, like this is, I think, the thing that threw me off at the very beginning, like tonally, because we we meet the the people and they're they're very extravagant. They seem extra. We start learning about like, you know, they're repurposing droid labor. Um, the droids are going crazy. The society won't function without droids, which starts to feel like some sort of meta commentary on like droid rights and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like we get to the bar scene and I realize I'm jumping ahead slightly, but like we get to the droid bar and it, I just feel so like, I feel like this episode wanted to do like, there's like, you guys see it, right? There's like a piece of like a droid. Uh, yeah. Like a droid, droid rebellion. Do yeah. droids have rights? Is this yeah. okay? Is it okay for Din Djarin to be kicking droids just for fun? Like, and then we go to the bar where they very clearly are acting sentient. They're having drinks, they're socializing. And I'm just like, you're making jokes about all this, but I feel like we're on the edge of an existential crisis and I don't know what to think. <laughs> well, I think I, I wish they'd spent more time on it because it could be a really interesting, you know, uh, topic, especially for Din Djarin, who hates droids. And we see that, right? Even though he has a, he he started to, uh, you know, work with R5 a bit more and he has, he's fond, very fond of IG-11. He still doesn't trust the Actually. droids. Sorry, speaking speaking of that, William, like I think like so, Tom, what was the synopsis again for this episode? The Mandalorian visits an opulent world. Uh, Yes, I believe the correct synopsis here is a racist cop goes on a terror against (laughs) unsuspecting innocent people like (laughs) there. This episode is weird, guys. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, well, especially when they, when they walk into that bar and, you know, all the droids are drinking from oil from tubes and you even get the, you know, uh, the the reference to A New Hope, you know, where Din says, I don't think they get many of our kind here. It was, it, it did, it felt very weird at first. And then I remembered, oh, well, in the Clone Wars, we had like a droid spa. So how is a droid bar that much different, right? It's very true. It's weird, but. Well, it, it's also weird to see a couple pilots from the uh, Star uh, Star Cruiser from Star Tours there. It's like, wait a minute. Did you guys get lost? That's why you're sitting here hanging well, out. They had droids planet. of every sort, right? I know they were everywhere. Droids. We had droids yeah. from all over the galaxy. And I did think that was cool. And they, yeah. and they do explain it a little bit, right? The droids come there to uh the they they drink the nepenthe that lubricate lubricate it's like a lubricant for them protects against mechanical wear but it also delivers refreshing subparticles which is again interesting that the droids you know need this refreshing thing but i i have so many questions and i'm <laughs> any of them because <laughs> i don't think they thought about this thought this through and i'm just i like oh my goodness and yet we get this moment of humanity with the droids, right? Where yeah. they are, they're, they've been helping the people of Plasier 15 and they don't resent them, right? Even though they do all of the work, they, they actually feel like they have more to contribute and they, mm-hmm. they are like, well, the organics created us. So helping them is the least we can do. It's a really fascinating scene where we get a little bit of humanity from these droids. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just think wish the they'd best, gone more but, in depth in this. But, but yeah. doesn't the humanity in turn make it unacceptable that they're being exploited for their labor? Are they being paid, William? Is there a union <laughs> to represent their needs? Okay, but but I think if I remember correct, the the head robo bartender did say that they had a purpose on that planet. 
So the droids see that they yeah. have a purpose to basically help the humans because it's funny. Um, uh, Christopher Lloyd's character said earlier that if the droids were to stop, they would not be able to figure out how to do anything on this planet. All they want to do is the odds and party and learn. So it's like the droids have a purpose on this planet. Yeah, it's I do wish they'd gotten a little bit more into the that aspect because it would have been really fascinating. And I feel like it's just very surface level. It's more of a, a like a police procedural, you know, detective procedural with a a little bit of the undercurrent of this, mm -hmm. you know, droid existential crisis type of thing. And and that's actually something you can point to because there was a lot of you could tell a good cop, bad cop, go, good cop, bad cop going on between Bo and Mando because go go to we have to backtrack to the Ugnots when they went and they went to interrogate the Ugnots. Because yeah. you could sit there and see who is the good cop and the bad cop when they were trying to talk to the the Ugnots. Because now you've got Bo doing it one way, but Din says, look. You know, I know Quill. I've worked with Quill. I know you guys are the best uh, droid refurbers in the galaxy, and you're prided by your work. We want to talk to you. I have spoken. And all of a sudden, they turn around, and they want to sit down and talk because he talked to them in a proper way when Bo was like, the, I'm going to take names. Yeah, I really liked seeing the reference to Quill. He's one of my favorite characters from season one, and I was very sad when he died. And so seeing how the relationship helped inform Din and he learned how to talk with the Ugnots was, was cool. And, mm -hmm. you know, hearing I have spoken again, it, it's, it's great stuff. I, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. it, the, the only thing that bothered me about this sequence is the lip sync was so bad. Oh my gosh. With Saphir, the, the head <clears throat> Ugnot, it was atrocious. Like it was pretty bad with the, the um, Easter Basket Pirate King uh, a couple episodes ago, but uh, <laughs> Gory and Shard. Uh, That's okay. But, <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I I just had to tweet out over the weekend. Uh, I mocked up uh, what he, Gory and Shard would look like as his head in an Easter basket. And it looks basically like an Easter basket. Um, but uh, it was pretty bad with Gory and Shard, but this felt even worse. I, I was shocked that got through. It looked so bad. I... I think for me, I wasn't paying attention to the lips. The one thing that I really enjoyed, whoever was working the facial expressions on those characters, that's what I was so so focused on. Not so much the the, the lip flap or the, the the lip sync. It was just the expression on these Ugnots were just incredible. So it it went right over my head. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, and then of course we get the the moment at the docks, right? They find out that the from the Ugnaughts at the next droid event. I don't really know how they predicted that, but the next droid event is happening at the loading docks. And so they go and investigate. And it's so fun to see more of the battle droids from the Clone Wars, right? We got a, the B1 foreman uh, directing all the super battle droids that are walking around and to just start smacking the super battle droids, put his face hand in front of the, the super battle droids and then smacking them, trying to see if he can get a reaction and yeah, the dynamic between Din and Bo is just really great in this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think this is where another comedic line comes up because the battle droid says, Hey, we just did um, um, maintenance on them recently. There's no problems with them. And as soon as here you have uh, Din Djarin kicking the droid, one of them finally goes haywire. Yeah. Bo look at the, uh, the B1 battle droid and go, you know, not a problem. It's something to the extent of 
not a problem here, huh? Or maintenance on them recently, huh? And then run off. So <laughs> you you could you could tell, yes, as we mentioned earlier, that there was more of a comedic tone to this episode. And Stephen, you are correct. It was good that they carried it throughout the whole yeah. show. What did you guys think of the the chase with that super battle droid, the B two? I was actually really impressed with it. Like it had. Uh, like, I thought the animation was decent. Like, it had a really good sense of, like, speed to it. Like, you really felt like they were sprinting as fast as they could, you know, through this uh, town, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know. It just it had weight to it. And I uh, awesome. Well done. And I loved, I should say, the last thing. I loved the, like, intermittent use of jetpack throughout it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that really sold. And, like, again, like, we go back to, like, Book of Boba Fett, where it's like, oh, why don't you just fly up? Like, here, and then multiple times, like, throughout this season, like, we just see the jetpack used as, like, an actual tool, um, just like anything else. Like, one minute they're up in the air, jumping, you know, to dodge over an obstacle, the next they're sliding, or um, just a really, really good use of, you know, the Mandalorian skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it really showed when um, Din jumped through that window to finally tackle the battle droid one last time. But it was fascinating to see those little police droids come out of nowhere and all of a sudden just cordon off the whole the whole crime scene area. I love I love that part. Those those were cool. Those were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the, the, we even get it's very much a police procedural, right? Because we even get the 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 coroner scene where they're investigating that that when they're pulling the blood out i was and i know it's not blood it's got to be like juice and then they put it in like a centrifuge and i just spent the entire time like i don't know what i'm watching like (laughs) why is there like an honest to goodness morgue that's just full of droids like what i have so many questions and no answers steven i also have to point out the droid was actually in, let's say, a refrigerator yeah, case, like an actual body would have been. That she <laughs> just slowly slid decompose. out. I, I'm like, Honestly, I don't want to talk about the scene anymore. I think we should just accept that it was nonsense and move on. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't. We can't because we can't because something happened in the scene because wasn't it Bo that sat there and said, well, because they end up looking into it and there's like little micro nanites or whatever that are in there. And the question came out, are those still active? And the medical droid goes haywire in there. And then so the are they, comes in, but are they transmitted via the Nepenthe then? Or is it like through well, no, 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 the air? The, no, no, no. But, but remember, they don't breathe. The droid. Okay. Th- that's true. But remember the droid was the one that pulled the fluid. out. Oh, of the that's true. Droid. So I guess, yeah, you're yeah. right. Sorry. No, you're totally so right. You're that's right. right. You're right. So, so that's how they were able to get in there. And that's how the droid was able to get to, 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 to oh. take over. Yeah. And then you the are, best I, you're thinking through this so logically and I just can't. <laughs> like you're not wrong. I'm not, you're wrong. not wrong, but I have studied. I just, I can't, I'm sorry. But, but you, you have, you have to say one more thing. You have to say, I think it was Bo that sat there and said, yeah, I think they're still active. <laughs> yeah. So uh, apparently the Nepenthe had nano droids in the, in it that reprogrammed the droids to be evil again and it was manufactured by the techno union and purchased by none other than commissioner hellgate so shall we get to the arrest because this is where i'm gonna have a lot of fun with it okay okay (laughs) so so now we know who the the culprit is so bo and din go into the security area and go excuse me but you know uh doctor you are now 
I'm sorry, it's not doctor. But excuse me, you are now under arrest because we have found out that you're the one that actually illegally brought these to the planet. Okay, these little technodroids. And what does he do? He stands up and yells, don't move. I'm going to hit this red button. Okay. If I were to have written that scene, a little red button's not going to scare me. I'm going to stand up and say, don't move. And if I was the guy that had all these little nanobites within the impenthe and ability to have battle droids around, I would have stood up and had battle droids appear out of nowhere. Because are you telling me a little red button is going to stop two Mandalorians from taking the guy out? Because yeah, you're not... afraid he's going to press a button? But I, I think that's the point, right? Like, it's it's meant to be ridiculous and not make sense. Like, it was, like he was the never episode. going to succeed. He, it was always going to go poorly for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. The guy is still raving about how Count Dooku was a visionary 25-ish years after the Clone uh-huh. Wars ended. So... <laughs> I think yeah. it's a joke, like the Dooku truthers, the conspiracy theorists, the separatists are right. They've been around the whole time. You never know what you're going to find in the outer room. Just some crazy folks out there. But but you would think, you would think that if he's been around that long, don't monologue. Because I'm sorry, you got to a point to where it even got bored. I would have shot him sooner than Bo did. Because the monologuing went on just way too long. You had to know his motivations, Tom. You had to know his motivations. I know. I would. I would have loved to have heard her sat there and said, "I w- I, I can't stand monologuing." Boom, done. Yeah. Yeah. So they they take him back to the the his fellow overacting guest stars, the Duchess and the comp- Captain Bombardi- Bombardier, and uh, they. Here's my other pet peeve. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they they exile him to the moon of Parquat. Okay, fine, whatever. He's been exiled. And they give Din and Bo a ceremonial key to this planet. A giant, giant key. And Knight Grogu for some reason. I don't yeah, some know reason. why. I it it, it 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 really you 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 were totally right, Steven. I think when you look at it this way, the whole episode is over the top and it's supposed to be over the top. When you look at it that way, it's it makes a little more sense somewhat. But Okay. It, the whole Can, thing, like, I mean, it, it why, doesn't make sense. But why are we knighting Grogu? I don't, I don't understand. Why? <laughs> because he helped the he helped the Duchess. The way, no, he William. didn't. He didn't help the Duchess. He sat there with, on the Duchess's lap the entire episode he and played. William, <laughs> he helped the Duchess. That trees. is Sir Grogu to you, okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry. And and I th- th- this this is this is my last pet peeve. Well, no, I got another one for the Mandalorians. Th- this is my last pet peeve when it comes to to uh, the security officer. He sits there in front of the two of them and he apologizes and he sits there and he goes, I hope that one day I will be able to get back in your good graces. I am. No, he's not. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You think you're going to get back on their good graces after all this time? I hope not. I hope not either. And I'm not going to go to another one because the planet Paraquat, um, I'm not, I'm not going to that one. Can we move on to the Mandalorian part? Well, Stephen, tell us about this 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 final scene. This was probably the like the cake on top for me. Um, so we arrive at the the Mandalorian ships. They got like a nice little fleet, by the way. Like it was actually significantly larger. Like all stuff out of Rebels, which I thought was funny. But um, and we get we meet Axe Wolf again, which is a silly name, and we get 
a really, really cool fight between Bo-Katan and Axe, like a genuine Mandalorian, like bare knuckle brawl involving jetpacks and, you know, waist, uh, the wrist lines and rockets. And like, I think the only thing we were missing is like Boba Fett's, you know, uh, like knee, knee rocket thing. Oh, the sparrows. Um, Cause we did get the flamethrower. We got the flame, like we get Bo's shield, like literally just a perfect fight between the two of them. Like just awesome. And then yeah, I, I thought the, the fight was sorry. I, me interrupt. I thought the fight was very cool. I did like that one quite a bit, and yeah, it it, it was a great it was a great sequence. It was probably my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and well, then we, we get, get the yep. scene that like just kills me a little on the inside. Um, so we have the discussion again about how Bo doesn't have the dark saber, and that's why her people don't follow her. Um. And we like, I, we don't like. We're just Harry Potter now, apparently. Like, Dean Jarn pulls out the rule book. It's like, actually, uh, you see, I was defeated by the cyborg in the waters of Mandalore, and you defeated the cyborg. So, by process of elimination or tra- transitive property, whatever. Like, how about a technicality? Is my yeah. Point. By technicality. Oh wait, it's actually Bo-Katan who is the owner of the dark saber, and my head hit the table because. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. This, but but before this is what I this is what I was hoping, and this is what I wanted to see. When Din pulled out that saber and turned it over to her, and basically she looked at him like, "I can't do this." I wanted him to just say, "We have to fight for this." I wanted, even if you knew it was going to be thrown, because she didn't. She didn't. She just only had Axe Wolf just yield. That's it. All they had to do is put up a great fight I, and have Din at a certain point just yield. I, You're not wrong. I, What I wanted to see, though, genuinely, was just Din saying, you saved my life. I am in your debt. This, like, this is yours. Right. You, okay, it, that would work. And I realize it doesn't follow the rules of dueling or whatever, but it just... Well, I feel like they could have even creating a new Mandalore, like a new tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just really like, why is this? I don't know this. Yeah, Stephen, I I, I agree with you because like the. The you can't I I get that they couldn't really have them duel. They want them on the same side. And I feel like they were they felt like they were stuck. They wanted Bo-Katan to have the Darksaber, but Din had it. And they were like, how the heck are we going to give this to Bo in a way that meets all the requirements from, you know, the rest of the saga where they have to duel and whoever you have to, you know, win in battle and everything. And so I felt like they thought they were, they were stuck and I get it. It's a hard challenge. How do you go figure that out without having the two main characters fight and still remain friends uh, or having him just give up? But I feel like having him suddenly remember in the middle of talking to all the other Mandalorians that, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know what? I actually did know that this whole time you actually deserve it. I've been carrying it for these last few episodes, but technically if we're, if we're being honest, like, you know, you defeated the guy who defeated me. So yeah, here you go. It's yours. Like it, it, it just, it felt very anticlimactic. I think at minimum having Din even feels like a private conversation with Din and Bo. Hey, look, you deserve this. Technically, we can rationalize it by saying that you, you know, you got it. 
but you know, and I'm going to give it to you or something. But it just seemed like Din almost just forgot. And then Randy was like, oh, yeah, look at that. Huh? It's yours. Here you go. Isn't that great? And it, it's just over. It just mm-hmm. it felt very easy, and- very anticlimactic. And it just felt like yep. it's it, not a technicality. It, it for such a big moment, it, it felt very a letdown. Yeah, exactly. It felt like it's, I, I didn't I, want to fight. I didn't you don't you can't do a fight, but I any option would have been better, I think, than that. I, I think it, this would have been a little bit easier to stomach as well. Like even this chain of logic, if it had happened in that episode. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yes. Exactly. Up, exactly. He and in private, invested. maybe. Right. Hey, you, you, you bested the thing that bested me. This is yours. Thank you. Bud. Right. Yep. I, right. I think that would have worked better. It just. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting okay. multiple episodes and then being like, while they're, while someone's challenging her. Oh yeah. By the way, here you go. Like it just. Oh, okay. I was so, so looking wait, forward wait. to this and it was just the execution was so off. It just made me sad. Okay, so let let's flip this for a second. Okay. Maybe the execution was off, but maybe the purpose was to make the other Mandalorians realize that now she has it. Okay. Now, because of this and this and this, yes, it's a technicality. She is now our leader, and it had to be done this way because it was done away from the other Mandalorians. Would they have believed her and Din that that's how she was able to earn it? I mean, it's only Bo- it's only Mando's word anyway, so. that That's very true. Very true. It's a good point, but I don't know. It's just, yeah, made me sad because I, I wanted to. I wanted it to be a, a bigger thing and a, a momentous occasion. She deserves it. I wanted Bo to have it. And yet it was just kind of, well, oh, here you go. Made me sad. But anyway, yeah. and that's, that's where it ends. So we'll see what happens this week. Once she has the dark saber there, were, there were some hints from celebration. Some people saw the episode early. Sounds really cool. I'm excited to see. I know at least one character shows up that, we will be very excited about, um, but I don't know. We'll see. We will see what happens. Time for ratings? Yeah, let's hey, let's get, get into ratings. it. Steven, do you want to? Steven? Wanna... <laughs> yeah, go first. <laughs> yes, I, I will go first. I, I actually feel really divided on this one because um, my initial impression was very low on this episode, and I've actually come up on it a little bit. I think I'm going to give this like a... This is so so difficult. You would put this on me first. Hey, I I have been waiting. We could just back all say it at the same time. Three, two, one. No, give your I, rating. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna be. I think we should. No, I think we should. No, 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 no. I, no, no, no. We don't need to do that. I I'm actually gonna give this an eight. Um, that is genuinely probably like two full points higher than where I was at the very beginning. Um, I'm gonna I'm rating the episode. I think on what they were setting out to accomplish, and it feels out of tone compared to the rest of the season. But in fact, that it's consistent in and of itself, I, I think is okay. Like the fact that we got like a buddy cop adventure for uh, battle droids and crit like Lizzo and Jack Black being crazy duchesses or whatever, like it's all insane. And I'm kind of okay with it. The only thing I, that really like I think detracts is um, A, like it, it is a little out of tone. So that like knocked probably a point off for me. And B, the just the dark saber thing at the end, even for the the current tone, I think is off. Um, but I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Like it, this is, like this is a love it or hate it episode. Um, 
I don't know that I, I, I it's a love or hated episode. I don't fit into either group, but I think it's, it was enjoyable. Like I don't regret watching this. I would go back and watch it again because it's just weird. Um, so I'll give it an eight out of ten. Um, and then, you know the the Duchess we see playing space cricket with a, a couple of beetles that bounce around. Um, the original version of the game back before kind of Jack Black's character arrived was actually done with Womp Rats, but they felt that was inhumane. The Womp Rats obviously much softer, so they bounce better, but there's obviously, a, a, you know, a mammal that can feel pain. And so that's, you know, challenging. It's difficult. So, you know, Jack Black, obviously humanitarian, cares deeply about the people and democracy. And they brought in the bugs instead of the Womp Rats. So the eight Womp Rats that used to be part of the game are now kind of enjoying the leisurely life in their own bar, um, separate from everyone else. So... There you go. Oh boy, oh boy, Tom. I, I I have had such a difficult time trying to figure out how I'm going to rate this episode because I had it rated one way, and then Stephen, as you mentioned in your rating, talking about it kind of changes your perspective on it because you can see, and I agree. It is consistent from beginning to end. There is no no wavering from what they did. And I got to give uh, Dallas, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard did a great job directing this. Oh, this was for sure. Great episode. The, the, the yeah, direction I mean, was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. It, the, the whole thing, how she was able to handle Jack Black and Lizzo in the in all those scenes were, were just outstanding. Um, so I, I'm giving it a seven. Higher than what I was going to go, less than what I was going to do. I'm giving it a seven. Um, I think we've talked about this enough, so I'm just going to say my seven Womp Rats are actually down there helping the Ugnaughts with the repair of the droids, and they're making sure that now going forward, there's nothing that's spiking the Impente to make sure that the droids stay on task and and they don't start creating havoc all over the place. So that's what I'm doing with my Womp Rats. William, you're last. Okay, well, um, yeah, I, man, this was... I mean, Stephen, yes, you bring up some good points. I think it maybe I maybe it deserves, you know, they did they did set out what they were going to do. I thought Bryce Dallas Howard did a great job directing the episode. I just did not love how over the top it was. I love the visuals of the episode. I loved the seeing the battle droids again. That was really cool. The Mandalorian fight at the end was great. I thought the Darksaber thing was a little not not my favorite. The guest stars, I did not. That's not true. I did not like Jack Black or Lizzo. I liked Christopher Lloyd. Felt a lot better. Overall, it was a fine episode. I I, I wish I wish it was a little better. I think it was. It's probably the probably one of the weakest episodes of the season and maybe the series. Um, it's exper- it's experimental and it's good. I'm glad they're taking risks. I'm glad they're trying different things. But overall, I th- I think I still got to give it six and a half Womp Rats out of 10. Still not my favorite, but hey, that's okay. I'm glad they're trying, taking risks. It was well executed for what it was. Um, I just didn't love the writing and the, the guest stars. Um, and yeah, my... Man, my six and a half Womp Rats. Ugh. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know why. Just, it's so over the top. What do you even are, do? Are they also just standing in... What do you even do with Womp Rats? It's hilarious of... in an episode that's so over the top, right? <laughs> I mean, no, that's really... They can work in the morgue. Yeah. Your no, uh, you know what? Actually, I've got it. Um, the, the Womp Rats 
kind of smacked Bo-Katan in her sleep, and now they had, you know, they have the dark saber, and they pass to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and you know, it's like five Womp Rats down the line at this point, because you know. So, <laughs> so they get into slap fights. Exactly. And exactly. whoever whoever wins the slap fight now has a dark saber. That's exactly it. Okay, works yeah. for me. Well, yeah. Anyway, uh. Yeah, it's it's an interesting episode for sure. I'm very excited about the next two, both directed by Rick Famuyiwa and written by John Favreau. So we'll see what happens. There's only two episodes left in season three. We'll see where they take this. I'm I'm excited, but um, yeah, we we got one more episode coming for you this week. We're gonna be covering The Mandalorian chapter twenty three. Uh, before we take a little bit of a break and then we'll come back with our final, you know, final reviews of the bad batch and, uh, our Mandalorian season three recap. So stay for all, stay tuned for all that. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening and we'll be back in just a couple days with our review of the Mandalorian chapter 23. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the ion cannon podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.